Hi. You know that um, as life groups we've got uh, three key priorities. They are about sharing lives, engaging truth, and praying together. So over the first six of these video blogs that I hope to uh, put together, I'm going to look at each of those, uh, two sessions on each. The first one looking at why I feel that's a priority for us as life groups at King's. And secondly, a bit of the how. How do we make that come to life in our kind of life group week-to-week uh, -week settings? So this one's all about sharing lives and looking at the why it's important. And as my visual aid for this session, I've got a family portrait of uh, some of family Mayton. Four generations, I think, are represented there from my mum's side. And uh, all my brothers and my sisters and uh, my sister-in-law is there as well. Because one of the strong biblical images for church is family. Hebrews 2 verse 11 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because he's made us holy. And we're siblings of Jesus therefore and therefore I guess we're siblings of each other. We are by definition brothers and sisters together as church. One of my favourite passages about uh, church's family is actually in one of the Psalms, number 68, verse 6, and it says this, God sets the lonely in families. Yes, of course, people then, people now, want friends, they want good friends, but more importantly, I think, we all need family. And I think the promise of Psalm 68 is ultimately fulfilled by the church. I've noted that Peter, in his first letter, uses the phrase family of believers a couple of times in describing the church. And Paul does something similarly in his letter to the Galatians, for example, 6.10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But then he goes on to say, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Yes, doing good to all is really important, but there seems to be some priority that he's prescribing for looking after and doing good to our spiritual family. In 1 Thessalonians 4.10 you get a similar sentiment where Paul says, in fact you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. So he's on the one hand commending this church for their love, uh, their love as family, and I think that commendation could be applied to us at King's as well. It's certainly been one of the standouts for me as I've gone on tour around our various life groups. There is a sense, a genuine sense of family together. But even in that context, God, as Paul did in this letter, I think says to us, come on, do so more and more, brothers and sisters. This is a priority. A factoid for you, I looked through the church directory and I counted that two in five, so that's 40%, of the households that are part of King's Church have only got one Christian adult in them. I don't know why I did that, but I think it just, for me, and it's only one dimension, highlighted how important family life is for us as church. Families, spiritual families, are a place of belonging and relationship, of community, a place of, of commitment and a place of growth, just as they are biologically as well at their best. And life groups are, as a church, our best environment where people can naturally 
be encouraged, to share their lives together, to express what it is to be family. So there you go, there's my first reason why it's a priority. The second reason is about one anothering. And you'll be familiar with the fact that there are so many one anothering commands in the New Testament to describe how as brothers and sisters we're to relate to one another. In fact, someone calculated there are 50 occasions when there's a one another command, a real priority. I heard a story recently about the church I've left uh, up in Harrow. Uh, they've recently had um, a church plant in their area fold into them, having kind of pioneered that for a year. The church plant felt, no, we want to join you now. And it was interesting, they come from a good background in terms of church context, but they heard one of the first preaches about life together as Christians, and they say from their background they never heard how to one another each other. It was never a focus of, of sermons. And maybe we take it for granted that in our context we do talk about it a lot, but that's because it's important and it needs to stay on our agenda. Life group, again, is a primary way, I think, that there's, everyone has an opportunity to experience and participate in, in one another in family life. My favourite one another in passage, if you want it, is 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 10. And Peter says, above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. A faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. And I love it because not only does that outline three one another in commands in a nice pithy kind of full sentence way, but it also gives us an adjective. It gives us a descriptive word of how we're to be doing that and I've just realised it should be an adverb that I said there, not an adjective. Um, so we're to love, yes, but we're to love each other deeply. We're to be hospitable, yes, but we're to do so without grumbling, if you like, cheerfully. We're to serve, of course we are, but not out of duty. We're to be faithful, administering the grace God has given us in its various forms as he's uh, imparted it to us. So just a really descriptive way of, of thinking about how we go about uh, being family together. And the third reason really is that um, by sharing lives in life group setting we give a context for encouragement. It's interesting that uh, way back in the early church in Acts chapter 4 they're described as being of one heart and mind. They're described as having shared everything together. And then it goes on to say that uh, God moved on them in great power and that much grace was upon them. They're the two phrases that follow. It, it's as if, and I think there's a genuine link here, the context of sharing life together somehow contributed to God moving in great power and the context for much grace to come upon the church. And, and I want that full package. So to me that just highlights again how important sharing, sharing lives, sharing everything is as church. Hebrews 10, 25 says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we don't know, don't we? The habit of meeting together can be one that's easily lost, um, both in terms of Sunday mornings, but also in terms of midweek as well. And I think sometimes the midweek one is the important one. If we can nail that, if we can get into those habits, then the habit of meeting together is kind of there. Um, but it's also interesting not only to be exhorted to meet regularly, 
that there's a purpose for that meeting expressed in that passage I read here. The purpose is for encouragement. So kind of the antidote is don't give up meeting together, so therefore do meet together, but for what purpose? To encourage one another. And it says even more so as you see the day approaching. So it's even more relevant 2,000 years later than it was then because we're closer to the day when the Lord is returning. So that theme of encouragement is strongly there, the purpose of meeting together. And you know that I consistently uh, start my briefing notes to you with an encouragement for you to ask people to share things that God's doing in their lives. Maybe it's a, a testimony of his grace, his provision, his blessing, something God has done in answer to prayer perhaps, um, just some expression of God's hand on people's lives. And I do that consistently and I ask you to do it at the beginning of the meeting. I just want to run through five quick reasons why I do that and would encourage you to keep doing that. Firstly, open. It allows people to share what's important to them and to the depth they're comfortable with because it's an open question. Secondly, real. That kind of question, I think, gives more opportunity for people to move away from the surface answers and give something of real content and meaning in their life. Uh, I know when Cell Church was first um, uh, propagated, if you like, around this country some 20 years ago perhaps, the idea of an icebreaker really stuck with, with us as churches. And an icebreaker is good in that sense, and it does give people an opportunity to talk, but often it doesn't get beyond the surface things. It can do, and it can be helpful, but it doesn't get beyond the surface and the factual when you're starting a new group. But I think for the ongoing, week to week, um, just giving the opportunity for people to share the genuine things that are topmost in their lives at that moment is, is really important. As an aside, if you ever do do an icebreaker, as I say most relevant for a new group, uh, first few weeks or so, then I would suggest avoiding those questions that ask for the best, the most, or the least, or the worst. Just ask people for one of those times that, etc. Um, it just lowers the expectation on the level of answer that's required. The third reason why it's good to ask this question first up is it's early on. Yes, it breaks the ice, but I think the, the important thing is that everybody says something out loud in the group context as early as possible. Uh, maybe it's just me, and I know I have been very introvert in my past, but I can sit in a group context and find it very hard to get a word in edgeways. I, I'm a bit backward in coming forward in that kind of context. I remember when I was younger, um, really struggling to find a window to say anything, and then the longer the evening went on, the sweatier I became, the more frustrated I was at not being able to say anything, and the less likely I was actually to say anything later on, even when there was a chance to. It maybe just gives you an insight into my insecurities of old, but I think you know there are people like that amongst us, and it's just good if people have said something in the group context early on, they're going to be relaxed, they're going to feel able at liberty to contribute later on as well. So I think that's the third reason. Fourthly, Godward. It's a question that forces people to think of something that God has done that is positive and that encourages a, an atmosphere of thankfulness. And we know, don't we, that thankfulness, gratitude is the gateway into God's presence and we want God's presence to be there in our life group setting so let's start with thankfulness and encourage that attitude 
Yes, of course we want to know the challenges, the heartaches that people are going through, but I believe, on the whole, they will come out, even when you ask people for encouragements. Uh, and that's fine, and we want to return to those in prayer later in the evening and get around people and support people as best as we can. But even then, if there's one thing they share that's bad news, don't dismiss it, but ask them as well, come on, what, what else has God done that is good that you could be thankful of? And it helps them get some balance and perspective, even in that simple exercise. And the last reason why I think it's useful to ask this question is just consistency. The fact that people know and appreciate how a group night's going to start, I think is helpful. It removes potential anxiety of being put on the spot, of not quite knowing week after week what's going to happen next. It gets people in the mindset before the group meeting, oh, what's God done? Let me just reflect on the encouragements he's brought to me. So I think for that reason, the consistency is a good one as well. And the last section of, of this first video blog of mine is about hospitality, because again, it's another reason why I think sharing lives is really important for us as a church and in the life group context. Hospitality is, a, is an attribute of God. You see him being hospitable throughout scripture. Uh, the word actually, in the Greek anyway, means literally a lover of strangers. And there is that dynamic, isn't there? We're to be as a church hospitable to the needy in our community, to the poor amongst us, to the stranger. But there's also an application, isn't there, in the church family context as well. It's fascinating to note, and I hadn't added it all up, just how much of Jesus' teaching and conversation recorded in our Gospels was in the context of people's homes, eating together on many occasions, even in his own home. I'm sure that's one of the reasons why Alpha has been a set, such a success over the years, because it does tend to involve food and drink. Interesting, uh, from a church history point of view, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he had six children. Um, we're told that he had seven nephews and nieces who seemed to live with their, him and his wife almost permanently, and had a constant stream of lodgers and students and visitors staying with them as a family. He had a really open home. We tend to think of him as the great theological reformer, but he was also such a hospitable person. I can imagine around his kitchen table, it was like an alpha discussion group, almost every night, I think at times, if you read some of the history, to the despair of his wife. But anyway, one of the shortest sentences in the Bible, Romans 12, 13, says, practice hospitality. Of course, it's talking about, you know, just the action of it, but... It, it's interesting having that word practice in our English translations because it reminds us, ah oh, yes, I need to learn how to do this more and more. The early church, of course, it says, broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, as I've already quoted, offer hospitality without grumbling, or let's put it in the positive, cheerfully. But thankfully it also says, each of you should offer whatever gift you have received to serve others. So, of course, we know that hospitality is a general command, but it's also, at times, a specific gift. It may not be your gift, but there may be others in the group who have got a specific gifting in hospitality that maybe needs to be encouraged as part of the mix. It's just like, I guess, prophecy, which, uh, you know, on one level, all Christians are encouraged to participate in, but then there's also the prophet, where there's a specific gift. A bit like witnessing is to the evangelist. A bit like encouragement, actually, is, is a general gift that we're all to be encouraged in, but there's also a specific encourager that only some people, it would seem, become. And I think hospitality works the same way 
as well. Before I wrap up this session, I just want to say, uh, plainly, biblical hospitality is very different from British entertaining or Western entertaining. This is not come dine with me. This is about biblical open hearts, open homes. It's more about that than your impressive entertaining skills. Oh, well, thanks for listening to the first video blog, and you can now listen to the second one all about how to share lives in the next edition. Thanks.